6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 26 through 29. Four disciples come to him privately, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, say, hey, how will we know when you're going to return? And he gives them a confidential briefing for two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25. And you may recall in there that he says that many false prophets shall arise, right? That they should deceive, if it were possible, the very elect, right? I was having dinner with Hal Lindsey the other night, and he, and he, uh, he was pointing out to me as he read that, read it a thousand times, the Greek really says that the false prophets will arise for the purpose of deceiving the very elect, if it were possible. Fortunately, it's not possible. What's interesting in the Greek grammar isn't just that there's false prophets that are so effective that the very elect uh, would be deceived if that were possible, right? The language in the Greek is more assertive than that. The Greek implies that the reason the false prophets will arise is for the purpose of deceiving the very elect. You stop and think about it, that's pretty obvious, because the others don't need deceiving. Okay? <laughs> so this business of false prophets is a worthy study. We see it here in Jeremiah, because that's his whole uh, burden, if you will. But it's also, what's interesting is you read the book of Revelation, the emphasis on that, the false teaching, the deviant doctrine. We're citizens just passing through, okay? But here anyway, the Jeremiah says, For they prophesy a lie to you to remove you from your land, that I should drive you out, and ye should perish. Verse 11, But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell there. He's speaking now to these heathen nations. Bear in mind, he's talking to the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and so forth. Right here, he's not talking to Judah. Okay. They remain in their land, saith the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell there. Verse 12. I spoke also to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him and his people, and live. Why will ye die, thou and thy people? by the sword, and by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord hath spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Therefore, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie. See, the prophets are that the false prophets are running around saying, Hey, people, don't sweat it. God's going to protect you. It looks, looks pretty grim, but God's, gonna, God's not going to let anything happen to us. After all, we're his people, right? Jeremiah is the lone voice saying, Uh-uh. You got it backwards, guys. Time's up. Verse 15. For I have not sent them, that is, these prophets. Let me back, let me give a thought back. Uh, verse 14 he says, Therefore, hearken not unto the words of the prophets, read that pseudo prophets, that speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, 
saith the Lord. Yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out, that ye might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. Something you need to realize is that not only are false prophets misguided, they are the pawns of Satan. Remember Balaam the prophet? That was the, well, there's three things. There's the doctrine, the error, and so on, the doctrine of Balaam. And all three are mentioned in the New Testament. We study that when we get into, uh, uh, you know, it's all, of course, in Numbers, but we study it, and again, the seven letters, seven churches. You need to recognize that Balaam was an instrument of evil, in effect, because he was the mechanism by which Israel's enemies found out how to thwart them, kept have them fall from favor. And so it's not just that the false prophets are wrong or confusing or just misleading. They are Satan's instruments. 1 Timothy 4.1 speaks of the doctrines of demons. Strange idea. Any idea or teaching that is deviant from the gospel of Jesus Christ is satanic. And he has a large repertoire of mechanisms to try to get you away from the truth. And there is only one real protection, and that is the whole counsel of God. Someone can take a verse of Scripture, a chapter, a theme, an idea from the Bible and get you really fouled up. What's your protection? The Holy Spirit, of course, but also if something is relevant to your walk, it is all through the Scripture, not in some little proof verse. And what you should passionately embrace is Genesis 1-1 through the end of Revelation 22, the whole counsel of God. Anything that isn't reconfirmed again and again is marginal, peripheral, tangential. And uh, uh, that's your only protection, because Satan will use the Scripture Bear in mind the temptations of Jesus Christ all three times. Satan quoted the Christ scripture. That's got to be funny to feed the words to the author himself. And of course, Jesus Christ uh, nailed them, fortunately. But with scripture, right on. Okay. So um, let's see. I lifted our word. Verse 15. Verse 15. Yeah, for I have not sent them, saith the Lord. They, yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I might drive you out and that ye might perish, yea, uh, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. Also I spoke to the priests and to all his people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hearken not to the words of your prophets who prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. Get the, get the picture. At the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, when he first took over, he laid a siege, took the temple vessels and a deportation to Babylon, set up a vassal king. And there's actually a 19-year period during which there was a second siege, a second rebellion and a siege, and finally a third siege where Nebuchadnezzar, of course, not only comes, lays a siege, but levels the place and takes them all captive. But during that era there, the false prophets were saying, yes, our, our temple vessels are now in the trophy room in Babylon, but they're coming back. God is going to bring those back. And Jehiah Kim was enslaved in Babylon, but he's going to come back. He's, that's why, that was why I said the guy had a tough time, because his rival... Uh, is, is in Babylon, and uh, uh, the heir, the more direct heir to the throne, the Davidic throne. And so uh, the, the, part of the theme that the false prophets were pumping all the time is that those vessels are coming back. And here's where Jeremiah is saying, the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, hearken not to the words of your prophets who prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you. Hearken not unto them, 
serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should the city be laid waste? In other words, if you guys don't yield to Babylon, he's going to level this place, which of course he does. Ultimately, verse 18. But if they be prophets, and if the word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and in, at Jerusalem go not to Babylon. In other words, if these guys are really prophets, let them pray that the rest of the stuff doesn't go there. That's what he's in fact saying. Verse 19, But let's say the, uh, the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and concerning the sea and concerning the bases and concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in the city. Now I better pause here and explain what that's all about. Um, he's referring, it's not obvious, but he's referring to the other temple vessel. Collect, now, in other words, not all, when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, the first siege, he took the gold. The golden candlesticks, the golden this, the golden that. That's valuable. What's left now, still there, are the pillars. Now, uh, you know, most of our study of the temple comes from the tabernacle. We, we, we know the tabernacle pretty well if you're a student, but you may not know that some of the temple had some things that were different than the tabernacle. And among the things it had were these two very large bronze pillars. They were named Yakim and Boaz, Council and Strength. And um, they were, uh, they had a very special role, and to get into all that would exceed our uh, time tonight. Uh, it turns out that the temple, you know, God says that ye are the temple of God, and there's an architecture there that is a New Testament architecture. And there are aspects to the temple that are different than the tabernacle. And strangely enough, they're, they're structurally uh, different uh, in terms of words that are in the New Testament, not the Old. And there's a whole study you can get into, and that's a subject for another time. But the point is, the bronze portions, the gold portions are inside the holy place. The bronze portions include these two pillars and the exterior pieces of furniture, which primarily is what we, we know from the Old Testament being the molten sea. That's, a, that's an unfortunate translation. All through the ex Exodus, you'll find the term the molten sea. What it is, is a giant bronze laver or wash basin. And it's molten sea is unfortunate. Molten means, it turns out it's a Hebrew word that really means bronze. Okay, and the sea means a laver. It's a brass wash bowl is what it is. But your quaint King James keeps referring to it as a molten sea. Now, when, that was in the tabernacle sense. And that was a portable thing that you carried sort of like on poles, okay? Everything in the tabernacle was portable because they wandered through the wilderness. When they get to the Temple of Solomon, all of this architecture, plus a few additions, interesting additions, are codified in a permanent house of God. And what was this portable laver was now made into a very large bronze bath. And it was on the backs of 12 bronze oxen. Okay, and it was big enough for the priests to be immersed in in ritual washing. Okay, there were also ten lavers, bronze lavers, smaller ones, and they are on stands that had wheels. They're sort of a portable device that's also used for ceremonial washings in a, in a, in a, in a more uh, manual sense. And so, what he's saying here in verse 19, for thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and the sea and the bases, meaning these stands. He's referring to those things which are still at the temple that Nebuchadnezzar didn't take the first time. Why? Because they're bronze, not gold. 
Okay. But thus saith the Lord of hosts, concerning the pillars, the sea, and the concerning the bases, and concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took not when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon. And there shall they be until the day that I visit them, saith the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. Tough words for the resident of Judah. We have this threatening king, and he's already plundered us of the gold. And they're holding out this hope that somehow the Lord's going to you know, take care of him. And Jeremiah comes, I'm speaking of the Lord, and says, oh, he's going to come back and get the rest of this stuff. You guys are in, in, in big trouble. Now, by the way, those of you that want to check into the pillars of bronze and the seas and, and the labors, you can find it all in 1 Kings 7. It's all in 1 Kings 7 for those of you that want to chase that stuff down. Okay, now, by the way, he says, they shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be until the day that I visit them, saith the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them into this place. That happened. They were all returned under Cyrus the Persian in about 536 B.C. The first siege of Nebuchadnezzar was 606 B.C. Cyrus the Persian returned all this stuff in 536 B.C. How long was the delta? 70 years. Isn't that interesting? And you can find that in Ezra chapter 1. The book of Ezra is the return into the, to the temple under Cyrus the Persian. It is some years later that Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the subsequent king, Artaxerxes Langemanus, um, that Nehemiah says, hey, I, re I got it made. I'm your number two guy. I'm the cupbearer to the king, but I really have this burden to go back and rebuild the city, the wall. Give me the authority and let me go. And Artaxerxes gives him the famous decree that triggers the uh, 70 week prophecy of the book of Daniel. And, uh, but make a distinction between the release of the captives to go back and build the temple. And some 19 years later, when Nehemiah gets the authority to rebuild the city, one ends the servitude of the nation, and the other ends the desolations of Jerusalem. And if you take, as I said before, if you take the 2,484 years, two months, and three days, from the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, you come to May 14th of 1948, when the nation is back in the land. If you take that same period of time from the third siege of Nebuchadnezzar, the desolations of the city of Jerusalem, you come to June of 1967, which is the first time since the crucifixion of Christ, where the city of Jerusalem is under non-Gentile dominion. And so when he says that the Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, you rejoice as of June of 67. Interesting time period. Mentioned last time to you that Israel was the subject of four periods of 490 years, not contiguous, but four periods, right? Remember that? From Abraham to the Exodus, Exodus to the Temple, Temple to Artaxerxes, right? And then Artaxerxes to the Antichrist, 490 years, but not, not contiguous. I've also told you for a variety of reasons, I think the dealing with the church and the dealing with Israel are mutually exclusive. A friend of mine who I'll call Doug, um, has suggested the possibility that maybe God will give them both equal time. Maybe there's four 490-year periods for the church to be gathered in, which is kind of interesting. So you can multiply four times 490 from Acts chapter 2 and come pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know if he's right, but we can stand around and watch and see, right? 
So if you want to know more about that, you can get the tape by Doug Wetmore on the four or 490 periods for the church. And now he's panicked to figure out how he's going to get that off the master tape tonight. Okay. And okay. A couple of general observations I could make anywhere along here, but I'd like to um, uh, just make as we go here. National calamities are by divine appointment. We see that in Daniel chapter 10. If you remember that spook show, if you haven't, get the tape. We see it right here with God instructing them. Not only Judah, not only Judah, Edom, the Amorites, Moab, all those guys. Their national calamities are brought about by divine appointment, which is a result of national sin. National calamities are a result of national sin. So you worry about the United States? You won't solve the problem in the Congress or the Senate or the executive branch. You won't solve the problem at the ballot box. You'll solve the problem in your prayer closet. If you want to see an extension of God's grace to this nation, you better pray for it. As Billy Graham so eloquently said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, subscribe to cable television. I know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's tragic that uh, the position that we have just drifted into of complacency, of humanism. You want to see the destiny of secular humanism. Pick up one of the documentaries on the Holocaust. That was sanctioned by the plebiscites in Germany. If the collective judgment of the state is right, then uh, we've got a whole other perspective of, of Nazi Germany and what it led to. That's the end result of secular humanism or relativism in any of its forms. Jeremiah chapter 28. And it came to pass the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the fourth year, and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azure, the prophet who was of Gibeon, spoke unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, this guy is a false prophet. Don't be misled by his introduction here, where he says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. That's his claim. We're going to see what happens here. Don't be, I suspect I could almost say the boldest prophets are not necessarily of the Lord. Their, their audacity is no sign of, of, of uh, spiritual um, uh, endorsement. This guy really sticks his neck out, and we'll find out what happens to it here shortly. Notice verse 3, Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon took away from this place and carried away to Babylon. Here's one of these false prophets saying, hey, don't worry about it. Within two years, that stuff's coming back here. This is an example of what was described in the previous chapter generically. This is specific. Verse 4, And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah, who went into Babylon, as thus saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. We'll see what yoke gets broke here. Verse 5, And the, then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Ananiah, In the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. You have to recognize Jeremiah has a note of sarcasm there. It's hard to read in your King James, but trust me, it's there. Verse 7, 
Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet who prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known, and that the Lord hath truly sent him. This is Deuteronomy 18, if you remember the test of a prophet, right? If a prophet, if that which the prophet says, and if he says in the name of the Lord, if it come to pass, then he's speaking of the Lord. If it doesn't, you kill him. Pretty interesting professional development program among prophets there. <laughs> Verse 10, Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet, Jeremiah's neck and broke it. Hananiah's prophet takes this yoke, the symbol, symbolic thing that Jeremiah was lugging around to make his point. He took it, they took it, and he busted it. Dramatic, you know, theatrics. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations uh, within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. He just quietly says, okay, buddy, you know, wish you luck. Verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had, had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go and tell Hananiah, saying, here's your message back to that turkey, you ready? Thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the pieces of wood, but thou shalt make, them for, make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him the beasts of the field also. It fascinates me. That's always in there. Always in there. He's the only king that I know of that in the, in the Gentile dominion, you know, that has the beasts also. Interesting. Verse 15. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah. The Lord hath not sent thee. But in other words, he's denying, he's just confronting him. The Lord hasn't sent you. But thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year shalt thou die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Okay? In the seventh month. Now you may wonder, what's all that about? You go back here to verse 1. The Holy Spirit took the trouble to show you that this started in the fifth month. And this boastful, false prophet said, in two years I'm going to have all this stuff back here. The Lord says, wrong. Two months, fella, and you're out of the ballgame. Two months he got, not two years, two months. Now, something you miss in verses 15 and 17, because you read it in the English, in the Hebrew, the lo which means he has not sent you, is the Hebrew that means he has not sent you, okay? In other words, God has not sent Hananiah. He has not sent you, right? The ho Okay? The word here in terms of casting you off the face of the earth is meselaka, which is in the Hebrew almost the same word. It's a play on words. Okay? Lo means it's a negative. Lo means not. Lo selaka means he has not sent you. But he is going to send you where? Off the face of the earth. See, see, he got sent by the... What, what, what's hidden in the pun in the Hebrew 
what what Jeremiah is saying or God is saying through Jeremiah. You know, you claim to be sent, but you're not. I'm going to send you where you go, off the face of the earth. That's that's what's caught up in in, in the language there, and not in two years, by the way, in two months. Now, um, incidentally, something else, just another background note about this. At the time that Hananiah is going through this false prophet routine, we know from archaeological evidence called the Babylonian Chronicle that at this time Nebuchadnezzar had his hands full quelling a local revolt in Babylon itself. Small point, but it starts to give you a feeling for why this guy had the audacity or the arrogance to be optimistic that they were going to, that Babylon, you know, that Babylon was going to fall, because they apparently had word that there was some local uprising in Babylon itself that Nebuchadnezzar had his hand full. So that might be, just speculative, that might be the source, at least in part, of Hananiah's optimism, which of course was falsely placed, and he got a lesson about stepping in to the office of a prophet. Now, if I keep this, we got we got to roll on here. If we got, uh, uh, we can, I'm really trying, see, 30 and 31 are dynamite, and I want to set myself up for next time, so I'm going to try to just squeeze in another chapter here, and I think we can make it, okay? So uh, let's take chapter 29, and we'll glean through it just as superficially as we have the previous ones, and if I go fast enough, I won't reveal all the stuff I don't know, I can just keep you snowed, so let's keep going. Um, chapter 29, verse 1, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders, or the remnant of the elders, who were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is a letter, in fact, actually a group of letters, of Jeremiah to those that are captive. Bear in mind, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem with those that are still back there. But in that first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, there were a number of taken, number taken captives. The royalty, some of the heavies, you know, all that, were taken captive. So Nebuchadnezzar, so Jeremiah is sending letters from Jerusalem to the slaves, the captives. Now the captives aren't in chains and in prisons; they're in 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 villages and things, farming. And in fact, they're going to be instructed here, quite interestingly, with instructions that they also observe throughout the diaspora. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.